0: then nothing
1: can beat MileHighRadio.com. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back.
2: Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer, the Socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And let's do just a quick check. Make sure that we have good sound. Here is everything sounding good, there, boss man. Of course, I caught him. He turned his mic off. So we're just yes, going I to did. But Zoom. can you yeah, hear me?
3: He I can hear you. All right, I, you're coming well, in good, Ron. Can you hear me? I hear you guys. hope you can hear me perfect. okay. Oh, uh, you're perfect, great. Perfect.
2: Well, the reason we were doing that quick little check is they had big news that I was going to announce last week. And ah, the technical difficulties got the best of us, so I didn't get to make the announcement. You but can make it now. High, I know. I know. This is so much fun. Mile High Radio is now part of Velocity Radio, um, which is a great Uh, internet-based station that is rapidly growing and going to bring a great deal of um, technical things for us, you know, lots and lots of good features for those of us who are hosts on Mile High Radio, and we are so looking forward to it, but we wanted to make sure that we had the tech going before I introduce our fabulous guest. Um, So with me today, you already heard his voice, is Ron Shevlin. Ron, welcome.
3: Thanks, Deb. Good morning. Thanks for having me on.
2: Great. Well, you know, I was introduced virtually to Ron by Ike Piggott. Um, I had Ike on several months ago, and he just speaks the world of Ron. And since Ike's an okay guy, I thought, okay, we we need to talk to Ron. So let me give a little bit of Ron's background here. Ron Shevlin is a senior analyst at ITA Group, He specializes in retail banking issues, including sales and marketing technologies, customer and marketing analytics, and consumer behavior. Prior to joining ITE, Mr. Shevlin was a vice president at Epsilon, where he led the database marketing firm's financial services consulting practice. Prior to his time with Epsilon, Mr. Shevlin was a vice president and principal analyst at Forrester Research, heading up Forrester's research efforts on customer loyalty, Profitability and co- consumer channel use in the financial services industry. Mr. Shevlin holds an MBA in finance and statistics from the University of Texas at Austin and a BA in economics from SUNY in Bing- Binghamton. So, again, welcome, Ron. Thanks, Deb. Great. Well, you yeah, know, well, let's just jump right in because social media and marketing for people in financial services, whether it's banking, whether it's, you know, some of the, the more regulated industries, gets a little bit touchy. And I think sometimes we think it's that people can't use social media just in general if they are, say, a banker. So what do you tell Ron when they ask you for advice?
3: Well, the regulatory issues are certainly a concern to a lot of financial institutions, and it's depending on what kind of financial institution we're talking Mm -hmm. about. Uh, There's a lot of regulations that concern the provision of advice in financial services. So financial Mm -hmm. advisors in particular are very worried that they'll violate something. Uh, banks are, tend to be a little bit less concerned about that because they're not really providing investment advice for the most part. Mm-hmm. But there's still plenty of regulatory concerns that, uh, all types of financial institutions have. The, the problem that most of these institutions have, Deb, isn't really a regulatory problem. It's a, it's an issue of not really understanding what it is they're trying to right. do with social mm-hmm. media channels in the first place. So many of them just simply try to use it to repurpose the existing marketing messages and, and uh, messaging that they've been doing through other channels and see it just as another way of uh, pumping out marketing messages. And I think that's the bigger problem and challenge mm-hmm. for, for many financial institutions.
2: Right, You know, and, and what I see is, you know, as you mentioned, they don't know what to do or how to do it, so they either totally avoid it, which you know, I suppose that's better than making mistakes, or they jump in and they do things incorrectly, um, you know, and, and so, you know, say you're talking to Big Bank X, you know, and, and they have come to you and said, Ron, we realize we need to use social media, but we don't have a clue what we're doing. What advice do you give them?
3: Uh, to ask a bunch of questions, <laughs> and answer a bunch of questions. And the first question is, who is it that, from a consumer segment perspective, Who is it that you are expecting to or want to reach through Mm -hmm. social media channels? Uh, Because if you're going to uh, publicize your your latest advancements in uh, retirement products, well, certainly there are plenty of people near or at retirement who are on social media, but I can tell you through doing a lot of consumer research, those folks are not connecting with their banks and and credit unions through uh, Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. So the first question really is, who are you trying to to reach. Mm -hmm. Second question is, what is it that you expect to to talk to them about and Mm -hmm. and communicate with? Uh, Because part of the the, the challenge is, is in figuring out what do those people want from a social media connection with a financial institution. A lot of the banks in particular that I see – and I did a study about a year ago looking at banks' efforts on Twitter. And I looked at the top 15 banks and what they were doing with their Twitter IDs – and so many of them, Deb, were, were basically just PR accounts. Mm-hmm. Basically pumping out through Twitter the same PR messages that they were pumping out through the public relations channels. So things right. that they mm-hmm. were sending out to the media to try to get media attention was what they were pumping out through their, uh, Twitter channels. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a pretty good bet that the average consumer couldn't care less about those PR announcements. <laughs> right. Um, and not to mention, I, can't imagine many of the much of the media is particularly care uh, concerned about it either, but that's mm-hmm. a different problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So the first really thing is is asking questions: Who is it that you're trying to reach, and what is it that you think you want to communicate with them about?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and. That goes for any type of business. Um, you know, who who are you trying to reach and what platforms? I had somebody who was asking me the other day, she writes, um, she has written a book for women um, who are more mature. It's usually, you know, her target audience is women who are about 65. And she wanted to know if I thought Twitter was a good place for her to be. And I said, no. <laughs> now, that said... You know, she she needed to dig a little bit deeper because her specific audience might have been on Twitter. But I think that's the the problem that so many businesses get into is, you know, maybe they think, well, everybody's on Facebook, so I have to be on Facebook. Or, you know, everybody's on Twitter, so I have to be on Twitter. And as you mentioned, the people they're trying to reach aren't there at all. Or they're there for a different reason, Um, you know. And I think that's where businesses in general just kind of miss the boat.
3: Yeah, Deb, actually, you're, you're getting to a really important point, which is this, this is simply another channel with which right. to reach and communicate mm-hmm. with uh, with prospects and customers. So taking the social media channels in context or out of context is a huge mistake. This is really about understanding how do these things fit into your overall marketing mm-hmm. strategy. And I think the reality is, is that for many firms, um, both large and small, the marketing strategy itself is not particularly well established or articulated or developed mm-hmm. Right. and so if you don't have a clear overall marketing strategy then really figuring out how social media fits in becomes even a even a bigger challenge mm-hmm. you, you also touched upon uh, another big issue which is the the personal versus corporate type of mm-hmm. uh, of decision um you, who is it that's actually doing the communicating in whether it's Twitter Facebook or whatever other uh, channels mm-hmm. we're talking about is it the corporate ID or is that who's representing that so mm-hmm. in the case of your your friend there where she might be a sole proprietorship there's there's less of, a, of an issue with that but you know for for many banks in particular or, or, or credit unions or or uh, investment management firms, or any other, any company really, is a question of who's actually doing the, the communicating. Is they doing it on the behalf of themselves, which helps them create some personal brand and mm-hmm. personal connection, or are they doing it under the, the banner and the guise of the corporate name, which then becomes, a, you know, bigger issue of whether or not they're actually cr- helping the, the organization develop that, that presence in social mm-hmm. media. Because, at the end of the day, somebody has to be behind all these communications. Right.
2: hmm You know, that was one of the things that was very interesting when I was talking with Ike, who is um, the, the head of communications at Alabama Power. They're very active on Twitter. Um, and he said part of what they do is whoever the person is who is sending out that tweet, they put their name. You know, so it's Bob, it's Sue, it's Jane, it's whoever. And and it is that real person. You know, we've all seen, I think, accounts where, you know, they said Bob was tweeting and you know that there was nobody there named Bob. But for them, it was very important at Alabama Power to kind of have that touch point with a real person. And I think that's kind of where we we fall down on social media is we forget that it's people connecting with people. It's not me connecting with Big Bank X or Walmart or whoever. I want to connect with a person there.
3: Yeah, and I think that that's, and I don't have any consumer research statistics to, to back me up on this, but uh, I'm willing to bet a lot that most people want to connect through social media channels with other people. I think there are plenty of people who will follow on Twitter, let's say, uh, celebrities or mm-hmm. their favorite sports teams and, you know, even companies that they do business with. Um, but there is research to show that in many cases they're actually following those companies whether it's Facebook or Twitter simply to get discounts and deals mm-hmm. not to make any sort of right. connection mm-hmm. emotional connection but for those who are looking to make a you know a deeper connection because they're a fan or they like that that particular company they 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 can see the ads that those companies pump out anywhere, but they do so by connecting to, to get a different type of connection. So it's it's a it's a corporate decision on you know do you let your employees uh, tweet or or post on Facebook under the the name of the company or do you do they allow them to create a more personal presence, uh, mm-hmm. you know by um, by doing so. So it's a it's it's decisions from an execution perspective, right. uh, but. You know, again, those are those are questions from my perspective that have to come down the line after you determine what's your objective, what's your, Mm -hmm. you know, what what are the overarching goals, and and how does this fit in with all your other marketing communications and tactics?
2: Mm -hmm. You know, and and some of that obviously depends on the entity. Um, You know, back to banking, if you're, you know, a Wells Fargo. They're probably going to be corporate no matter what. I mean, it just kind of seems like that would make sense for them. Plus, they've got so many things besides just banking at, at Wells Fargo. But if you're, say, the, the little neighborhood bank, um, you know, here in Atlanta, we have several where there's only two or three branches of, of the entire bank. Then it's a community bank. and And I want to know what's going on with those people and how that bank is interacting with the community. You know, are they members of the chamber? Um, you know, is the is their there, uh, staff there volunteering on committees? Are they helping out in the community? And to me, that really kind of adds a very personal touch to those little banks and makes them much more attractive than, you know, the, the big guys might be.
3: Yeah, and if you are a small institution or entity, business, whatever it is, with a relatively limited or or at least well-defined geographic focus that really changes your strategy a lot mm-hmm. from a from a social media perspective because you know for a company like Wells Fargo that's for the most part national in nature and probably even international with some of its lines of business it's nearly impossible for them to determine what's the overall population of people that they would be mm-hmm. trying to reach. So they they can take more of a broadcast type of approach to right. Twitter mm-hmm. or Facebook, but for a small community bank in your area, Atlanta, where you can pretty much draw a circle from on a map and say these are the people we're trying to reach, then taking uh, and tweeting and and you know from a Facebook posting perspective. Taking a more, uh, local type approach to the, to the content, it, it, you know, certainly is a, a you know, a more preferable tactic to mm-hmm. take, as well as identifying who it is you're trying to, to reach. So that might, uh, expand a little bit. You might, you know, start to do some campaigns as people come into the branches, or when you're sending out online statements and things like that to, to publicize your Twitter and Facebook, uh, properties to, to get people to, to do, to get on there more often to communicate. But it, it still comes back to really figuring out what's the content going to be. Right. Because people are still not you know even if they're active on twitter and you know talking to a lot of people frequently through the channel uh, do they really want to chat about the weather mm-hmm. with uh, with their bank or you know talk about uh how the braves or the hawks did last night i i, I tend to doubt it
1: mm-hmm.
2: well and you know if i know i'm chatting with the person as opposed to the entity i think that does you know that does help but it also, you know, as, as, you know, that you're coming down with saying, okay, here's what we're going to be talking about. People need training, you know, and they need to know what is acceptable and what isn't. Um, you know, I think that's where we've seen businesses take missteps is they haven't really told their employees, okay, remember that you are the face of the business. You know, whether you're the teller, whether you're the branch manager, whether you're the, the bank president, whether you are the, the pizza delivery person, you know, the, the business around the corner remember that you're the face of that business um, you know and and what is acceptable and what isn't and you know just give people a little bit of training you know not 30 pages worth of rules but you know a little guidance goes an awful long way
3: yeah Deb actually you're, you're hitting on another great point and this is I think really important this isn't simply about training though uh, I wrote a blog post this goes back probably even a couple of years at this point and I, I titled the blog post the fourth skill And the idea behind this was that there are three relatively well-established skills in in a lot of businesses. The the first skill being technology skills, Mm -hmm. the second skill being marketing skills, and the third skill being customer service skills. There are typically people in in any organization of any size and and in a really small business that they all might fall under one person. But in most mid sized to large businesses, there are separate departments and teams for each of those three types of areas, functions, Mm -hmm. or skills. What social media has created is the need for a fourth skill. Marketing people, in my opinion and experience, don't really know how to converse with customers. They know how to talk at people. They Mm -hmm. create marketing slogans and ad slogans Mm -hmm. and ad copy and marketing copy and they're not used to getting a response back. Mm -hmm. Customer service people, on the other hand, are actually very good, the good ones at least, at talking to customers. Mm -hmm. But they're typically in a problem resolution or answering questions type of a of a mode mm-hmm. where they can be trained on what those answers are and then of course there are people with technology skills who I would jokingly say don't know how to talk to anybody but that's of course <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking they don't talk to yeah, their like, shoes <laughs> they talk to their shoes they talk to their computers but social media is is kind of something different it's it's not the talking at uh right. people it's like a hybrid. that marketing typically is it's not, i mean you can use twitter for customer service and things like that but but that's just one aspect of, of the types of interactions um and i think the technology skills is a nice thing to have uh for social media but again it's it's not helping you figure out the tone the content mm-hmm. the 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 the, the, the to- i guess the you know the tone is really what captures it mm-hmm. so there's really is a need for a fourth skill and so it's not just training because what would you even train these people on? We don't know yet what that fourth skill really is. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and you know, it, it really is something that I think it, part of the reason businesses don't do it is it is very confusing. And they assign it to, you know, one area, and that area doesn't talk to the other people. You know, they, the, the sales team does it. Well, the sales team needs to talk about, you know, or needs to talk to the marketing people or, you know, whoever. It, it really does need to be a group effort because I think, <coughs> excuse me, social media truly is a hybrid of a lot of communications.
3: Exactly, and that's what I was trying to get at with the fourth mm-hmm. skill. It's it's combining the technology, the marketing, the customer service a, uh, aspect of it into something that's kind of different. And you know, real, reality is is that this is these technologies and tools have just not been around that long
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, for these skills to really been honed and and figured out exactly what what that new skill is.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and. I think where many businesses and probably especially banks and financial institutions get a little more leery of this than than others just by by uh, what they do is it is so very public and one little misstep goes really really public um, you know and and I to me that's where a lot of times people think, well then I'm just not going to do it at all okay you know as I mentioned at the start maybe it is better to not be there than to make missteps. But if your competition is there, to me, that is kind of one of those things. Because if I'm looking, you know, now granted, I'm probably not going to go to Facebook and look for a bank. But, you know, if I see a bank that has been doing something inappropriately, the same with, you know, whether it's a restaurant or, um, you know, some other type of of business. If they make a misstep on social media, it does have a pretty wide-reaching effect in some cases.
3: Yeah, you're really getting at the the risk-reward Mm-hmm. Uh, trade-off here. And this is, I think, going to be a big barrier for especially financial institutions and banks these days, just given the the general level of uh, distrust or mistrust that consumers have with, with banks, especially large banks these days. But this is the problem, is that uh, from a senior management perspective, I think many of them, and perhaps, Deb, rightfully so, see the potential downside risk as outweighing Mm -hmm. the potential upside Mm -hmm. reward. How many new customers are you really going to get by tweeting or posting on Facebook or posting videos on on YouTube versus your traditional marketing channels? Mm -hmm. And I I think many institutions have have struggled to prove that, at least from a new customer acquisition perspective, that this is uh, such a great channel to, to drive new business. Is it going to potentially deepen and solidify the existing relationships? I, I think there's a better case to be made for that, but now we get into the, the attribution and the measurement problem. With mm-hmm. all the different things that an organization does to try to you know, to keep customers around, deepen the relationship, upsell and cross-sell them, how do you single out tweets or Facebook posts as having the the influence on right. deci- <clears throat> keeping mm-hmm. someone there? Meanwhile, you know, look what happened with J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, they were going to do a Twitter campaign, and it just completely blew up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the, the 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 people who who disliked J.P. Morgan Chase are very active and and vocal in these channels, and really embarrassed the, the bank. So I'm sure the senior management team there looks at this and says. Uh, you know, gee, the, what are we really going to get out of doing this compared to what we've just suffered from doing it? Mm-hmm. And in fact, the organization just uh, announced the the, the um, promotion and and uh, positioning of a new CMO there, uh, ah. coming from the from the communications channel mm-hmm. with a you know a mandate to figure out how to effectively use mm-hmm. these channels. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're feeling the pain, the risk of uh, of a misstep, and in effect. They didn't even tweet anything. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Nothing
3: actually ever got tweeted. They simply announced that they were going to do something with Twitter, and it blew up in their face. Mm -hmm. So you know that a lot of other banks are looking at this and saying, you know, really, what's the the upside reward for this? So Mm -hmm. this now kind of gets us into another super big problem that companies, not just in financial services, but everywhere kind of face which is not just quantifying the uh, the risks and reward but figuring out is there really an ROI mm-hmm. on this stuff right. and mm-hmm. that's that's uh, been a big challenge.
2: Well, and you know, you're a numbers guy. And you know, I tell people that for me 2 and 2 don't always make 4, but I do understand that you know, we have to look at the numbers. And it's not just gee, I have a million followers on Facebook and you know, I I have 2,000 followers on Twitter, those numbers mean absolutely nothing, Um, you know, and and I tell people that all the time, it's not the number of people that you are following, it's actually what they might do, Um, and and I admit I bought your book, I read Snarketing 2.0, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but it really is one of those things where people start talking about uh, you know in, in your book you pointed out the fact that we talk about the the social media influence that somebody might have and you know I I'm saying it that way because I can't put it in, you know, air quotes on the radio. When really is there influence? You know, you can't measure that. So, especially for a financial institution, if they don't see numbers and and be able to say, you know, like say with a direct mail campaign, you send it out, you know x number of people responded to it you knew okay this was worth the risk this was not worth the 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 cost but with tweets and with with facebook posts and all those various things it's kind of this nebulous thing that goes out there and may or not may or may not be having an effect on what you do
3: yeah a couple things Deb, to your to your points first of all it, 2 plus two always 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 equals four. It's, it's the way it works okay, you, Yes, you cannot say it equals five. You cannot say it equals three. it always equals four. Mm-hmm. That's first thing. Second is there there's a lot of, seems to be a lot of folks who want to yeah. redefine ROI out there. Oh, it's return on influence, it's return on insight, it's the return on whatever I word they can mm-hmm. they can come up with. Or it's not about the quantification. Well this is similar to the two plus two equals four thing. ROI is always return on investment and mm-hmm. it is always quantifiable. It always it is a formula that is scientific and you cannot argue with it. It is always about the the return on the investment. Mm-hmm. The problems and the challenges are are many fold. First is How do you actually measure what the investment is and quantify what that investment is? Do you allocate people's times to it? It's not just necessarily out of pocket costs for Mm -hmm. creating a channel or a message. Uh, So quantifying the investment becomes a challenge. Second, quantifying the return becomes a big problem as well. Is it, you know, do you look at this, what just happened in the next 90 days, or do you go out three years? uh, And what is the return and how do you attribute whatever benefits and return you see to that particular investment. So tying the return or the benefits to the investment and quantifying all that becomes a huge problem. The other big thing in issue is that uh, just as I will always, always argue that ROI is ROI no matter what, that does not mean that the only way to measure the benefits is through ROI. There are right. other types mm-hmm. of benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the information technology, the IT people in, in organizations have gone through this over the past 30 years and management teams have finally, after many years, begin to, un- have begun to understand that there is a, something called the infrastructure. That is, there is no return on handing somebody a PC or a laptop. There is no return on creating a a network, a local area network in a business or a data center. Those are simply enablers. It's infrastructure Mm -hmm. that makes other things happen. There is no ROI on infrastructure. Marketing people have been very slow, if at all, to understand that there might be something called a marketing infrastructure. Things that you have in order for other things to happen. I I like to think of of the marketing uh, infrastructure, think of it as a customer relationship infrastructure, as being uh, an infrastructure built on trust and engagement. If you have consumers' trust, and they are engaged with both you and your product, whether it's your product or not, even the product category then you can do other things with messaging that will help drive ROI. It is an mm-hmm. infrastructure upon which you build a customer relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we can prove that tweeting and post book, uh, Facebook posting and, and YouTube videos and Pinterest and so forth um, contribute to trust and engagement, then it helps to build that infrastructure, that relationship infrastructure, and therefore has no direct ROI and doesn't need an ROI because it is helping to build the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think a lot of folks kind of get that just yet. And I think, you know, th- there's an argument to be made that that I'm wrong too, that, you know, if we're spending money on things, we ought to see uh, a return for that investment.
2: Well, but but you're right that, you know, the, the infrastructure is, you know, it's, it's the foundation of the building is probably, you know, maybe the, the easiest way to, to put it. And, you know, say it is, um, the, the little neighborhood bank that is talking uh, on their, their social media posts about what they're doing in the community, how they're involved. You know, they, they go and they do, um, uh, they help build a Habitat for Humanity house. They help at the local, an- <coughs> excuse me, animal shelter. All of those things. That helps build kind of that social currency, for lack of, of a better word. Where, you know, if I'm then having to pick between bank A and bank B, if I just feel better about bank B, which you can't measure – how i feel i mean you know and and that i think is where people are are getting caught up but if i feel better about them then i'm i'm going to to be more likely to at least go in and visit the bank um you know and and that to me is is the benefit to organizations like banks and you know whatever the institution is to using social media is to kind of have that little bit of personality out there
3: yeah there's a social media guru and i I forget who it is so i apologize for not remembering and attributing this to him appropriately, but who runs around saying, you know, measuring the or asking, what's the, so, what's the ROI of social media is like asking, what's the ROI of your mother? And, and that's a stupid, stupid comment, and it's, <laughs> and it's completely wrong, and it's not even analogous. A better analogy is, what's the ROI of doing the right thing? Right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you, there's a lot of things we do, and I'm not even just talking business. There are a lot of things you do. Somebody falls down on the street in front of you. Do you help pick them up? Of course you do. Mm-hmm. Do you ask, what, what do I get for that? No. It's just some things you do because it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. not because we can measure it. And in business, there are a lot of things that we do just because we, we make a decision that it is the right thing for the organization to do like like a like volunteering our time for uh, for local charities and maybe even you using some of our time to communicate with the community through social media channels not because we can measure it but because we we know it's the right thing to do the other thing Deb and, and to argue you know against the measuring uh, of ROI for social media is there are a lot of investments that a typical business makes in in marketing across many different channels across different areas and especially in fin- large financial and even mid-sized financial institutions if you look at their marketing budgets it's going to be a whole lot heavier skewed towards traditional channels like TV print and radio than it is for for social media channels
1: mm-hmm.
3: wouldn't you now measurement has a cost Right. Measurement Mm -hmm. doesn't come for free. You have to do things to measure. Your Mm -hmm. point about, you know, can you? You can't measure some things. Yeah, you can, but you you have to create tests. Mm-hmm. You have to create right. test environments to do that. That costs money, time, and you may be giving up something in order to test out the, the results of something. So, there, measurement has a cost. If you are going to make an investment in both time, money, technology capabilities to improve your measurement capabilities, wouldn't you rather improve your measurement capabilities or the ROI of your? your print, radio, and TV advertising, which takes up 80% of your budget, versus the social media expense, which takes up 1% of your budget. Mm -hmm. So the reality is is that it may not even pay to measure the ROI of social Mm -hmm. media because it's not worth the effort Mm -hmm. and an investment to do that.
1: Right, right.
2: Well, speaking of paying... We have uh, time to uh, take our break here at the bottom of the hour so that our advertisers are happy with us. Um, when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion and then talk more about Snarketing 2.0 because it's uh, a book, as I mentioned, that Ron wrote, and it's also a great blog. And it's not just for financial people. it's its It's got great marketing tips, and so I want to cover some of the, the things that, that Ron covers in it. I am Deb Creer. We're talking with Ron Shevlin on
1: Mile High Radio. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant.
3: Milehighradio.com. Just what the doctor ordered.
0: void where prohibited. Resorts, elections, and reservations are subject to availability. This ad is used for the purpose of soliciting the sale of timeshare interests. Do you want to make a powerful improvement today for better living? I have the answer. Take a vacation. Diamond Resorts International is offering exciting, spacious resort destinations to everyone who qualifies. Stay for four days and three nights at the resort location of your choice for just $159. Not per night, but for the entire stay. Come to Orlando or Las Vegas. It's just $159 for the entire stay. So what are you waiting for? Get away today for just 100 And these aren't standard hotel rooms. They're luxurious suites. So call 1-800-542-9072. If you call right now, we'll give you a $100 Visa gift card if you qualify. That's right, a $100 Visa gift card and a well-deserved four-day, three-night getaway for just $159, which means your vacation is really just $59. Call 1-800-542-9072. Call for the time of your life and better living. Call now, 1-800-542-9072.
3: Have you ever wondered how you could make a difference in someone's life?
1: What if you could help hundreds or even thousands of children? Students in the U.S. rank 32nd in world math skills. It's time for our children to catch up. Become an owner of one of the world's fastest-growing franchises, Mathnasium. Mathnasium is the leading math-only learning center in the U.S. Imagine helping hundreds, even thousands of students in your community improve in school and raise their self-esteem. Call us at 800-783-0798. That's
3: 800-783-0798.
1: Thank you for being a friend Travel down a road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant
2: And we are back I am Deb Creer, um, and we are talking with Ron Shevlin, who is a senior analyst with ITA Group. Before we go any further, Ron, tell people how they connect with you and find you online.
3: Uh, two places to connect with me online. would love to uh, to connect with you on Twitter. I'm at, uh, at rshevlin, R-S-H-E-V-L-I-N, uh, or uh, through my blog, which is uh, snarketing 2o Dot com.
2: Great, great. Um, you know, and and before we jump back into what we were talking about, one of the things that we haven't mentioned that I think is to me an absolute must for uh, virtually any professional is LinkedIn. Um, you know, and and I think for you know, a banker, for a professional, for someone in the financial services industry. LinkedIn is an appropriate place for them to be. Now, this is from a personal standpoint. You know, they're 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 having their own profile there and, and things like that. Do you see that people in your the industry that, that you advise are they on LinkedIn or are they? Is that still one of the platforms that they're a little unsure about? Also, uh,
3: they are absolutely on uh, LinkedIn, especially financial advisors. There tends to be different, I think, types of. Uh, content and conversations that happen in the various channels Mm -hmm. personally uh, I'm not a big Facebook user I, I practically never go on Facebook I accept requests if I get them but I don't post I don't read posts and I don't know, to a large extent, from a inter, from a person from a professional to professional perspective, how much really professional posting is going on on, on Facebook. Uh, I'm much more active personally on both uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, and especially Twitter. Twitter's where all my conversations happen. I work at home in my basement, so I'm probably uh, you know reaching out to folks just to have some connection with the outside world. Mm-hmm. Through Twitter, but LinkedIn, uh, from a financial services perspective, is very act, uh, you know very active channel because the conversations, or at least the content, tends to be more professional based. A lot of folks asking questions about uh, particular financial services types of issues and topics uh, and conversations going on. When I post. My blog post, I do post it onto LinkedIn as well as uh, trying to publicize it through Twitter. And we'll get a a fair degree of comments and and conversation going on LinkedIn, so I know people are reading it, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially for financial advisors and for anybody, you know, insurance agents as well, you know, who are looking to make that person-to-person connection, you know, uh, we'll use LinkedIn. And I'm talking more than just, of course, uh, you know, having a LinkedIn profile for, you know, your resume and connecting mm-hmm. purposes. But from a, you know, marketing type, uh, sales support type perspective, uh, LinkedIn is very uh, very active use in the financial services world. Right.
2: Well, and, it, you know, we, we talked at the, the start of the program about social media that goes bad. Quite often that's when you had the best of intentions with a post and somebody else took it in a different direction. That really doesn't happen on LinkedIn. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much is it stays professional. You know, we on my Facebook page yesterday, I, of course, was posting about the Denver Broncos, great win. I would never post that on LinkedIn. Um, You know, that's just not the space for that. Do I say on LinkedIn that I'm a Broncos fan? Sure, it's in my profile. But that's not part of what I'm there to, to really be promoting.
3: Yeah, and you know, if we're talking at the individual level, Deb, then the, the real challenge that, that people have is time allocation. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't right. spend much time on LinkedIn or Facebook mm-hmm. simply because I, I find that I actually have some real work to do from time to time. <laughs> and I know it kind of gets in the way of my social media conversations, but it has to be done. So right. something has to give. So I spend my time on, on Twitter versus Facebook or, mm-hmm. or LinkedIn. But, yeah, it's, it's, this comes down to figuring out where are you most comfortable communicating, mm-hmm. how often are you going to do it, and, and really comes down to making some t- decisions about how you how you allocate and commit your time. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's, I think, one of the, the drawbacks of social media is it can be a big time suck. You know, you, you get on there, and especially on Facebook, you know, you start reading the posts, you look at somebody's pictures of their grandkids, and, you know, pretty soon you lost two or three hours. Twitter, you, you really can't do that because it's just moving too quickly. And LinkedIn, it doesn't happen either. And if it does, you're getting sidetracked with business stories. Um, so it's it's really not such a, a bad thing. But to me, that's one of the things people tell me the most is social media is a waste of time. And I tell them, well, you, you may not be using it correctly. You know, not that there's a right and a wrong. But if they are letting themselves be sidetracked, then there's a problem. And I say, you know, set a timer. And, and tell yourself, I'm not going to, to do this for more than 15 minutes, or I'm going to you know glance at it every once in a while, and really be disciplined about that.
3: Yeah, I don't know that there's any easy answer here, Deb, because uh, I can only talk, again, we go back to the the personal versus corporate mm-hmm. right you know are we talking about somebody whose job it is to be focused you know is a the marketing person the social media marketing person mm-hmm. within a department whose job it is to spend lots of time right. on social media mm-hmm. and so then they still have to figure out how to allocate their time be- between channels mm-hmm. or are we talking about the the individual who's i mean let's let's, let's be honest you know the 99.9% of whatever time I'm spending on Twitter is is personal. Mm-hmm. It isn't, you know, there there might be, and I would argue that there is a benefit to my employer for my creating a personal brand through, through social media. Uh, and I can prove that there have been business opportunities that have come up through my Twitter connections that would mm-hmm. not have come right. up otherwise. Mm-hmm. So yes, there is an ROI, but Actually, all I can pr- pr- prove in that case is that there's been a return because I still mm-hmm. can't quantify right, the right. investment. Mm-hmm. So what it really comes down to is I've got goals, and we all have goals I- in our job for things that have to get done. If you are doing those things and meeting those goals, then you know my boss would never get on my case for spending time on Twitter as mm-hmm. long as I'm over- producing and, and overproducing right. mm-hmm. uh, on my job requirements. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I think trying to to set the timer and the clock is tough because I always have Twitter up. Things are, Mm -hmm. you know, popping up. Somebody's, you know, hitting me with a direct message or mentioning me, and I want to see what that is. And so, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how much time we're actually spending on these channels is nearly impossible. So for me, it's it's not about how much time is being spent, but whether or not I'm getting the real job done. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. And and if you're able to do it and get the real job done then that's, that's perfect. Um, you know. But if you are the kid with bright, shiny objects and you clicked on too many of the links, well, there's probably a different problem there.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Great. So now let's talk about Snarketing 2.0. Tell us a little bit about both the blog and the book.
3: Sure. Well, it came about... Uh good good number of years ago. As you had mentioned at the very beginning, my uh, background, I had worked for another research firm years ago, Forrester Research, which is very uh, well-known in the industry, and one of the big benefits of working at Forrester Research was they really taught me how to write and how to present. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a lot of writing training, and writing reports at that place was was very onerous and really learned how to write when I left Forrester, uh, I went to a database marketing company and not long after really began to realize that I missed writing mm-hmm. and This was mm-hmm. back in two thousand and six uh, at that point i had I had never even read a blog before, but decided that I would create a blog so that I could have an outlet for, for writing. I had mm-hmm. no idea how to do any of this stuff, and I created a blog. I called it Marketing ROI because I thought that when people thought people would be searching for that term and would find my blog, and just started writing stuff, and people started finding it. Mm-hmm. And um, then uh, after a while, I, I kind of changed the name because I felt it was kind of too generic, and before all the political stuff, I, I renamed my blog The Marketing Tea Party.
1: Because ah, mm-hmm. I
3: thought, and this was before any of the political stuff that was going <laughs> mm-hmm, on with the mm-hmm. Tea Party, because I thought it it kind of had a connotation I wanted that it was uh, you know bit revolutionary, bit uh, and then the, the you know the uh, Alice in Wonderland Tea Party connotation. Mm-hmm. But pretty quickly the uh, the political connotation took over, and I and I had to change the name again. Now, a couple of years ago, actually, this is probably going back seven, eight years ago, I had a boss who came to me and said, Ron, you know what your problem is? And I said, oh, I only have one? (laughs) And and he says, uh, well, that kind of gets at it. He goes, you're you're just, you're really snarky. See, and that's one of my favorite words.
2: I love snarky.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's an acquired taste. Look, there are a lot of people who don't like it, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. But I realized that... You know, I had I had a choice. I could either try to change or I could try to uh, play it up and live with it. And changing was a hell of a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So uh, I decided, you know, combining the, the marketing focus of the blog with uh, my tendency to be kind of snarky. I called it uh, snarketing. And uh, since, you know, 1.0 was kind of old-fashioned, I mm-hmm. just slapped the 2.0 label on it. And uh, it has stuck ever since.
2: Great. Well, and and I love what you say on the blog. You say, if this blog doesn't make you think more critically about the world around you, then it has failed. If it doesn't make you laugh from time to time, then you don't have a sense of humor.
3: Yeah, I don't want... uh, There's plenty of places to get news. Uh, Any any place to find out kind of what's been going on. um, My intention with the blog is not to tell you what's going on, but to give you my opinion on what it means it's all about the whim what what it means and um you know i'm very fortunate that i have a job that allows me to kind of be honest with things i mean clearly we have we have clients and i have to be careful not to insult them too much but i do from time to time but um you know i'm fortunate that I, i i can be honest with what my opinions are regardless of whether or not it uh it's offensive to any particular company, mm-hmm. firm, or person.
2: Well, and clearly, it works because you also say that that it is the number one blog for financial marketers, um, and the, the financial brand named you that. So, it, it has great information. Um, same with the book. You know, I, I could tell that you know a little tongue in cheek sometimes, but as I was reading it, it made some really good points, and you know, uh, many of those were about data, you know, and, and your blog post this week is about big data doofuses. And, and, you know, I'm one of those people that when somebody tells me a statistic, I almost always think, yeah, but <laughs> you know, I want to know you know more, you know, that the old um, dentist thing where they would, you know, it was a toothpaste thing, nine in 10 dentists recommended this. I mean, I always thought, well, they just waited until they found nine. And then they said, Ooh, nine in 10, you know, and they, they discounted the, the you know, the, the 300 who didn't like it. And I think that's sometimes where we get caught up in data is, you know, when we read it, when we look at statistics, we don't always think enough about how did that come about. And, and you really mentioned this because of how we measure social media. Um, you know, for example, I have my clout score on my website. And, you know, my clout score is 68. I'm proud of my clout score, but does it really mean all that much? It's good for my ego is probably more than anything. Um, you know, because you can't, you know, we, we've been talking about it. it's, it's It's very difficult to actually measure influence, which is what a clout score is. You know, does my clout score mean that, you know, people, I, I influence people? Or is it just that I have really funny posts that they like and they share? You know, that's, that's kind of the trick with a lot of the big data is you, you don't always know what's behind it.
3: Yeah, a couple things, Deb. If you're uh, proud of your cloud score, then don't let any of my comments uh, ever, ever <laughs> but, uh, influence but it, you. It is but it's, one of
0: those where
2: it's like, eh, does it really mean that much? Eh. No, yeah. <laughs>
3: it, it, it doesn't mean anything.
2: Right? Mm-hmm. It Except it's mean good anything. for my ego.
3: <laughs> if it's good for your ego, then go for it. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that that score means nothing. First of all, measuring influence is nearly impossible to right. do. Second of all. As in any type of score, so your score is 68, and what is the max is 100, is that correct? 100,
2: yeah, and the average is about 45.
3: Okay, so I think a while back, like, Justin Bieber had, like, a 99 or 100, maybe. And I'm sorry, he is
2: not influential.
3: (laughs) Well, but that kind of gets to the point is, Mm -hmm. so, first of all, is he really that influential? Well, I tell you what, 100, if it's perfect, that would imply to me that he influences everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. And I can pretty much guarantee you that my parents down in Florida um, <laughs> are not real influenced right. by, by Justin Bieber. Um, second, if your score is 68 and his score is 100, does that mean that you are 68% as influential as he is? Right. I, yeah. I don't think that makes any sense. So it's, no. you know, the problem here, and this gets at, at a lot of things that I try to get at in the, in the blog is that many business people, if not marketers, suffer from a a condition I call silver, silver bulletitis. We're always looking for a silver bullet, right but we're basically lazy. Just you know give me the answer. Tell me what I need to do. Mm-hmm. you know, give me the quote best practice mm-hmm. and the reality of life and business is that it's just not that easy, and that's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do in the blog is trying to point out that you know when someone says, "Do this because it's the best practice or here's the score, and you should be proud of it and, and the cloud score is not nearly as bad as that total garbage score called the net promoter score,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, it means nothing that we've really got to, you know, just because it's easy to understand or easy to measure does not make it right. right. And I think that's, um, you know, what I'm always trying to get at. And your point about, you know, the quantification, I I, I call it quantipulation. It's trying to manipulate people with numbers mm-hmm. and trying to use a, a score that you come up with or generate or calculate to make it seem like well that's really big so you know nine out of ten dentists might recommend this my thought is always i want to talk to the one
0: right why, why doesn't doesn't that one like it why me? does
3: what don't you like maybe he's got it right mm-hmm. maybe right. the crowd isn't always right
2: mm-hmm. well and if you're if you're doing some type of study that should be the thing you want to know you know if, if you've done say focus groups I you know, I don't want to know the good. I want to know the bad because that's how I fix it. You know, it always drives me nuts when I um do a presentation and they hand out, you know, speaker evaluations. And you know, say on a scale of 1 to 5, all these very nice people say, "Oh, she's a 5. She's a 5. She's a 5." Well, okay, that's nice. And again, there comes my ego into play. I want to know what the person who said, "Ugh, I'd never go hear her speak again." Why? What did I do that that, that one person is thinking, yick, you know, that's what makes me better—is to talk to the the one who didn't like me.
3: Yeah, but uh, I don't know that a lot of people want and can accept that kind of kind of feedback, mm-hmm. and I think that's what kind of makes it tough. I think we're all tend to be, especially in business and you know, from a marketing perspective, a little bit uh, insecure mm-hmm. about stuff, and I think that actually drives a, a lot of social media be- behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I, you know, believe it or not, I'm, I'm really much more of an introvert. I, my mm-hmm. wife can't understand how I communicate with anybody through social media because she thinks I don't talk ever. And uh, you know, when I look at people, it just seems to be this constant stream of consciousness coming out. And I think it's because they have this need for attention that just drives me crazy. And it's like, shut up already. But I think, you know, there's this need to, to be constantly communicating and be in touch with folks to to get that that uh, feedback and the confidence that, that they, they lack mm-hmm. to a certain extent. So, you know, I think this is what kind of complicates a lot of the, uh, the social media behavior that's right. out there.
2: Well, and, you know, I, I home office, and I'm the first to admit that, being on social media is a big part of it for me. Is that connectivity with people, um, and I'm married to a mathematician. So see, your wife and I, <laughs> I just you, know, I'm doing good. If my husband comes home and says ten words, and that's you know that's a good day. It's not that there's anything wrong. That's just you know he's not you know that's that's just the way he is, and and so I need social media to communicate with people to know that there are other people who are out there. And then I – but I, I see what you say. You know, I look at it and I say, oh, please, do we have to overshare quite so much, folks? So that's where businesses get caught up. You know, they see all of that kind of oversharing. And if you're the, the, the CEO and you're thinking about your business being on, you know, Facebook or Twitter or, you know, some of the other sites – And you see the people talking about, you know, the Golden Globes were last night and, you know, how many people were drunk and and all. you're thinking, why does my business want to be there?
3: Yeah. And typically what that CEO will do, too, is just delegate it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that just creates their problems because Mm -hmm. then it comes back to the, you know, understanding the objectives, the, the strategy, how mm-hmm. this fits, what's the right content, what's the right frequency, mm-hmm. what's the right voice. And uh, it, it's uh, I don't think we're just quite there in the maturity of these right. channels and sites yet to really know what works and with with who. I mean, now mm-hmm. the the big thing is that teen, teens are getting off of Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, and so does that mean Facebook's uh, dying or dead? Who knows? I, you know, tend to to doubt that to a large extent. But it just, I don't think we really quite understand just yet because of how new it is, is what are the long-term patterns of use? I'm a big believer in the power of demographics, Deb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for all the Gen wires out there who love to, you know, pat themselves on the back for being so collaborative and social-minded – I think to myself, yeah, well, guess what? You weren't there back in the late 60s and early mm-hmm. 70s when, uh, you know, we were all going to Grateful Dead concerts, and we were pretty social and collaborative, mm-hmm. too. Right. But we mm-hmm. we grew up, and, yeah, now you blame us for, for all your problems uh, in the world and think that we're not collaborative. But we were there. Just wait till you have kids,
1: mm-hmm. right? See
3: if you're still going out with your friends three, four times a week. Mm-hmm. And so things will change. And so the question with the social media is, with all this heavy use of, of social media uh, among Gen wires the question is: in ten years from now, when they have kids and they're got jobs and they're trying, you know, wrestling with uh, adult issues instead of where to eat uh, this this Friday night, um, is their behavior going to be as social and as collaborative? as it uh, was when they were in their early 20s. So I think we'll see a lot of changes Mm -hmm. and patterns in in how individuals use these these channels.
2: Well, and I think that's probably the the biggest thing that businesses need to keep in mind is to watch what's going on. You know, if if they were active on Facebook and, you know, Facebook has changed their algorithms, for example, and and made your, your posts less likely to be seen, well, you can spend money. Or you can think about a different platform or, you know, analyze all of those things. And that's, to me, probably the, the biggest thing is really look at what's going on, you know. And 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 now it's not go with the trends because the trends might not be exactly where you want to be. But it is in, in and that's kind of where the analysis does come back in. If you're on Facebook and your business is getting a lot of activity, you're building relationships, then that's a great place to be. If it's better that you're on Twitter, like you are, then that's you know great also, and and that's I think that the biggest thing that companies need to keep in mind is go go what works best.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, for t- more than ten years now have tried to get a concept across to the clients I've worked with this notion that I call right channeling using the right channel for the right interactions. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you can't be in every one of those channels. I mean, you could be... Uh, in fact, I remember at a conference, two CEOs of two banks separately getting up, uh, making presentations and saying, we'll do business in the channels that our customers want us to do business in. And that sounds great, but man, mm-hmm. that is a really expensive way to do business. Oh, yeah. You simply can't do everything everywhere. And no. so you kind of have to say, "Is for our business, you know, where's the best place to be mm-hmm. and And maybe ignore what the numbers and statistics say from a usage perspective because they really are going to be just snapshots. And also because if you do have the right channel for something, then you can build a following even if even if look, even if ninety percent of the people aren't using a particular channel, if the ten percent that do are are using you and following you for that, Mm -hmm. then that's good. You know, you look right now, I remember and I I have an interesting sociological uh, uh Experiment going on in my house because I've got three daughters ah. who are 24, 19, and 13. So they oh grew, span a range and I've seen mm-hmm. the change in behaviors. And I remember five, six years ago when one of the daughters we were sitting at dinner and asked, you know, what, what's Twitter? And this is going back, you know, four or five years at this point now. And the older one said, oh, that's a... Um, uh, that's like uh you know Facebook for old people to communicate you know people <laughs> like dad mm-hmm. now that was the, the take five years ago right and now right. Mm-hmm. you know now if you ask what the 13 year old and the 19 year old are doing they are not even they're off of Facebook they just right. don't do anything mm-hmm. it's all instagram mm-hmm. um, but for certain types of businesses it's just, you know what are you gonna do uh, if you're a bank you're gonna post pictures on pinterest and instagram of your of your checkbooks i mean checkbooks are dying anyway of your branches Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a great visual uh type of of a a type of business and so it lends itself better to a facebook or Mm a uh to a twitter or even you know posting videos on training stuff and things like Mm -hmm. that on on youtube so it is about using the right channel and if it's not the one that's popular right now, okay. So then you make it popular. Mm-hmm. It's you, you got to do a little bit of work here from a marketing perspective. Right. It isn't mm-hmm. all just going to come easy. So it, it requires a little bit of work on the marketer's part. And this is why I'm always harping on the silver bullet-itis concept. Is you know this you got to work for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. There's there is no magic silver bullet or no magic bullet. easy button. Well, Ron, this has been absolutely fabulous. Um, we have run out of time. So one last time, tell people how they connect with you. Uh,
3: thanks, Deb, on, on Twitter, at, or, at rshevlin, r-s-h-e-v-l-i-n. Or uh, just do a search for snarketing2.0, and the uh, URL will come up, and we'd love to, to connect with you guys on social media.
2: Perfect, great. Um, for those of you who aren't connected with me, why aren't you? Um, pretty easy to find all of the ways to connect with me on my website, which is debcareer.com. Very excited about my guest next week. I will have Jason Miller on, who is the Senior Content Marketing Manager at LinkedIn, where he leads the content marketing and social efforts for LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. So I don't think we're going to be talking about Twitter and Facebook next week. (laughs) But we, we really look forward to that. And again, Ron, thank you so much to everyone. Enjoy your day and have a great
0: day.
1: Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Great shows.
3: Great music. MileHighRadio.com What are you listening to? This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts,
1: visit c-suiteradio.com